This morning we're going to go deep. Uh, James is going to take us deeper than we have been so far in our Life Hack series. We'll be in chapter 4. Now, I think chapter 4 is one of those don't miss the forest for the trees texts. I think James is going to invite us to take a few steps back and take in the view this morning. This week as I was working through this text, here's kind of my first pass at it. Uh, What I saw in the text throughout chapter 4 was a theme of peace. In the first few verses, it's about peace within myself and the absence thereof, the the conflict of my desires, the churning uh, when I am at war within myself. And that's about verses 1 through 3. And then James talks about uh, peace with the world uh, and its values or peace with God. And James tells us you can't have both. You can't be at peace with the culture and the value system that surrounds you and be at peace with a holy God at the same time. The third thing he tells us in verses 11 and 12 is that we need to have peace with our neighbor, peace with each other. And there are certain behaviors that tend to undermine that. And finally, verses 13 to 17, very interesting. As James begins to to talk about the future and how we think about the future, how we talk about the future, how we plan for the future, and the fact that, that really we need to be at peace with not knowing what's going to happen. He says, hey, it's not even like you don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. or five. He, James says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So be at peace with that because you trust in God who does know and who is sovereign over the future. Um, God has that kind of knowledge, and as his child, I can trust in that. So peace, inner peace, peace with others, peace with God. That's in chapter 1, but I think, like I said, chapter 4 really, really invites you to step back and look even deeper and discover kind of the ultimate life hack, which is to know what matters most. When you know that, you can organize your life around that, and you can build a life of substance, a life that has deep meaning. So what does matter most? What is it, James? Um, Does it have to do with, with the pressures that you and I feel to perform and achieve and make the grade? Is that what matters most, learning those kind of performance tips? Does it matter most um, those commitments, those holy commitments that I have, you know, honoring those, the commitment I have to my wife, the commitments I have to, to my children? Um, does it matter most to think about serving the community? There are so many needs out there. We know disciples are supposed to make a difference in the world, are supposed to care about people who are hurting. Is that what matters most, or is there something else? Our clue in chapter 4 is, is in the vocabulary, is in the, the, the words that James chooses to use to convey his message in chapter 4, because in chapter 4, what we have are very personal words, all right? Very personal words. And I just kind of put these on top of the outline this morning because I just noticed these sprinkled throughout. Um, Envy, grief, mourning, laughter, loyalty, 
tears. Friendship. Sister, brother, heart, near. Envy. Again, envy, grief, mourning, laughter, loyalty, tears, friendship, sister, brother, the heart, nearness. Those are words that only make sense where there is love. And the ultimate life hack this morning is to realize that really what life is about is this. It's love. It's about loving God, being loved by God. It's about fellowship with God. That is what matters the most. So consider this. Just think about this this week. You can call me a lot of different things, hopefully not all of them here in this space this morning, but I've been called a lot of things before. Some people call me Dr. Dabs. Um, if you do that, then you probably don't know me all that well. You're probably like having to introduce me at a conference or something, or maybe you're, you're the uh, lobby clerk at a hotel, or welcome to the hotel, Dr. Dabs, or you can call me Gordon. Um, you know, there are people that call me Gordon, and some of them are good friends of mine. Some of them just kind of know me a little bit, probably know a few details like what I do, and maybe know a little bit about my family. But there is something I'm called by a very exclusive group of people, um, and these are I'm exactly two people. These are people who I was in the room when they came into the world. These are people who, when they're sick, at least when they were littler, I held them, and I took their temperature, and I nursed them back uh, to health. These are people who, who know me probably better than anybody else, um, people with whom I've had tickle time, right? And that, so it's a group of two people. It's my children, exactly two people, and they have the exclusive right to call me dad, all right? Well, God is the creator. God is the almighty king of the universe, yes. But in Christ, we are invited to call God our Father, to be fathered by Him. We are children of God. We can call Him Abba, as His Spirit who lives in us calls us into this intimate relationship, Abba or Daddy. Now, before Jesus came along, yes, Father was a metaphor in the Old Testament. Um, God is like a father to Israel. The, the people of Israel were, were, were called to think about God that way. But when Jesus came along, he said, it's more than that. He is our father. Remember the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus begins with those two words, our father. God is your father. Romans 8.15 Daddy, Abba. He's your Abba. So there are three things I want you to note. Just considering this, this relational aspect of our, our fellowship with God, James chapter 4, three things I want you to write down in the outline this morning. The first one is this. James uses words of longing and intimacy to speak of our relationship with the Lord. Okay? Very personal words. Words of longing and intimacy to speak of our relationship the word Lord. The second thing is this. Since we're dealing with a relationship fundamentally, that's what's different about Christianity, by the way. It's mainly a relationship rather than just a religion. The second thing here, 
And this may frustrate some of us, okay? Since we're dealing with a relationship, there is no magic formula or clinical process to guarantee intimacy with the Lord. There aren't a series of switches that you throw. Boom, boom, boom. Automatic intimacy with the Lord. Today, March 6th, is Isla and my 23rd wedding anniversary. Um, I love being married to her. I think, I think our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. I think it's better than it's ever been. Wouldn't it have been nice, though, if it wouldn't have taken years to develop a strong... Wouldn't it have been nice if somebody would have given me the, the 10 secrets of a marriage or five easy steps, and within the first week of marriage, I'd do those, boom, we've got it. But it doesn't work that way. There were fights along the way. There still are occasionally. There's struggles... There's vulnerability, there are tears, there's laughter, there's, there's envy. There's all of that in our marriage at times because it, it's a process, it's a relationship. It's not something neat and clean, boom, intimacy there, voila, you've got it. It doesn't work that way. And Christianity is fundamentally this new relationship where you are a child of God. You get to be fathered by God. He calls you near. So James wants to make us sure that we know where we're headed. Where is all of this headed? What are we doing here? Why are we all in reading through the Bible every day together this year? What are we, what's all this about? It's about fellowship with God. It's about experiencing this relationship with God. So check this out. Number three here, that third bullet point. To move closer to the Lord, I recognize his desperate longing for my heart, that word envy in the text, the spirit envies when it comes to my heart, your heart. Desperate longing he has for my heart and my need to thirst deeply to know and experience him and his love. Now this three-letter word that, that pops up over and over again in, in this book, James, is ask. I would just write that on your outline somewhere, ask, A-S-K. James is constantly telling us to, to ask, to ask for something. Um, find what matters most. Don't turn loose of it. God, I'm asking you, I want to be closer to you. God, I don't want our relationship to just stay here. I don't care whether I've been a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 10 days, whatever. I want to grow closer, and I'm not turning loose of that. I'm asking James chapter 1, verse 5, ask God. James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. James chapter 4, verse 3, ask. James like, just, it starts there. Just asking, God, I need this. I want this. Ask for intimacy with God. If you feel numb, if you feel spiritually dry, if you feel like you're just going around the same track over and over again, nothing is changing, say, God, I desire you. I want more of you. As the deer pants for water, so I long for you. So boiling it down, here it is. I think this is, this is it in a nutshell in James chapter 4. Do I desire one thing more 
than anything else. To come close to God. Now, you may not be there. That's okay. We're all at different places. But I think he's asking these disciples, that he's, do you desire more than anything else to come close to God? No magic formula, no clinical process, no 10 easy steps to intimacy with God. Yes, there are things you can do, but there are no guarantees. This is a relationship. There's mystery in a relationship. Real relationships are dynamic. They change. They're not static. They're not always the same. A relationship is alive. And that's what we have with God. He's our Father. But it starts, again, with wanting it. It starts with asking for it. With not turning loose of that hunger, not ignoring that hunger, but pursuing your God hunger. A month or so back, I got an email from a member here at Preston Crest, Tiffany Fleming. And she attached this document. She said, Gordon, here are some things I shared Uh, It's probably been a couple of months ago. I shared with with my connection with the Bound by Faith group. And I wanted you to read this. And I read it, and I was moved by it. And I said, hey, would you mind if I share this at some point on a Sunday morning? And she thought about it, and she said, no. She said, sure, share it. So she starts out quoting Adele. There's a fire starting in my heart, reaching a fever pitch. It's bringing me out of the dark. Finally, I can see you crystal clear. She continues, a fire that I like to call revival. A revival that's been happening in my heart and in my mind. Flashback to one year ago. Not that long ago, right? You would find a lonely girl desperately looking for something. Common sense in hindsight would be screaming, Jesus, you need Jesus. You're right, but sometimes Jesus needs people to feel their complete brokenness before he picks them up, begins putting them back together, and gives them a story to tell. A story that I believe may be familiar to more people than we think. Okay, she says. So one year ago, I was a lonely mom seeking perfection Stingy on grace, looking for satisfaction in anything external. I wanted my home, my life, my family, everything to look perfect. You know, like those Instagrammers who have eight kids and yet there's never a dirty floor, unflushed toilet, or smeared windows. Man, those moms really have it together, and I'm just not doing this right because my homemade essential oil Play-Doh, parentheses, yes, I made that, my homemade essential oil Play-Doh was crusty, and I burned pretty much everything I cook. And seriously, my kids are terrified of anyone that's not me, and they throw fits and blah, blah, blah. Perfection is a tricky little tool that Satan uses to really do a number on us. He used it on me until I found myself so far away from God that one day I thought to myself, I don't think I really believe. I mean, I don't feel him when I'm lonely or angry or even happy. Surely no one else has ever 
thought any of that. We all go to church and sing and commune with our brothers and sisters. Yeah, no one else has questions, just me. That's how she felt, at least. I began to feel shame for feeling that way. One day, I decided I had to tell someone how I felt, someone older and wiser. I assumed their response would be to find the nearest scripture to try and then to pray over me, which, by the way, isn't bad. It's just not what I wanted at the time. Their response was, okay, you don't have to believe. You see, I serve a God who loves you so much. He lets you choose that for yourself. After that conversation, revival really began. I went home that day feeling lighter. I didn't really understand why, but you see, God was chipping away at a heart that was hard, a heart that was filled with the need for perfection, for validation, and a heart that was afraid to let anyone near it as they might see all the brokenness and run for the hills. A few Sundays after that conversation, Gordon preached a sermon titled, God is Bigger Than My Loneliness. I cried the whole service. It felt like God had gift-wrapped that sermon and sent it down for me to hear at a perfect time. And I know so many other lonely people felt the same way that day. And all I can say is, thank you, God for loving us and showing us in these seemingly small ways. Little by little, he keeps chipping away. And whether it's hearing similar stories from others or the relationships that I have seen thrive since, I let Christ back in. We may not always be ready to see God or notice what he's up to, but he's there. Right beside you when you sob your way through oceans or celebrate with a friend or share in their loss. I believe he prepares these moments for us before we even exist. He knows, he knows us, he created us, and he wants our whole hearts. You know, Tiffany, a year, year and a half ago, she would have loved to have just been able to snap her fingers and presto closeness with God. But that's not what happened. There were seasons of loneliness, a sense of brokenness, of searching for something, not even being sure if she believed. And then after this long period of feeling spiritually dry, she experienced what she had been longing for. She didn't turn loose, did she? She kept asking. And so, to conclude our time, what I want to do is look at four things that James tells us. These are, again, these are not like four steps that guarantee, it's not like a combination lock. You do these four things, boom, boom, it opens. Intimacy with God, that's not how it works. But James is going to give us four things in chapter four that are so important as we seek to draw near to our Father. The first one is this. I want you more than your blessings. 
Lord, I don't want to use you. Verses 2 and 3. I want you more than your blessings. I, I, Lord, I don't want to just use you to get your stuff. Here's, here's the thing. We, according to James, we can so easily forget all about the Father, all about growing closer to Him, and make it all about, so God, I need this. And I want this. And if you could take care of this, this, and the other thing, that would be great as well. And God, there's this other thing, but I'm not going to ask you for that because you probably don't want me to have it anyway. I'm just going to pursue that on my own. That's what James talks about there. Verses 2 to 3. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You don't ask And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. God is saying, where am I in this? Do you want me? You're asking for all this other stuff. God can, he can easily turn into a celestial vending machine. And prayer is just the token you put in there and you push what you want and out it comes. Or God can easily become like a bridal registry at Dillard's where you sign up for all the stuff you'd like to have and maybe you'll get it. (laughs) But more than anything, more than anything, the child wants the father. child wants the father number two I want you more than this world I want you more than this world Lord I don't want to two time you by the way James uses a word that's even stronger than that so we'll get there in a second but every single one of us we all look we all have this internal battle that's raging we want God And we want this other stuff that we see that's attractive and delightful that's out there in the world. We want all of that. And it's easy to end up with this feeling of being divided kind of right down the middle. Of having these two warring parts of my soul that are constantly going at it. And so James comes along. He uses very strong language here. A couple of really strong words. Um, The language of of infidelity, uh, of of wanting God and wanting the world. And that is like, well, verses 4 and 5. That's like this. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What then do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the Spirit has placed within us, uh, the Spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? Now envy, that's a strong one. The Spirit of God living in us can be envious. I think James is getting our attention there. What's what's that all about? I thought envy was a bad thing, right? A sin. 
That's what the Holy Spirit feels when I'm trying to cozy up to, to God and to the world. Well, God's just, he's not okay with sharing my deep affections with another lover. He's not okay with that. Um, look, when you enter into a marriage covenant, you don't want your spouse to be okay with adultery. <laughs> you don't want that. Um, you want your spouse, you want that relationship to be guarded and protected and treasured and singular, and that relationship matters more than any other. That's what you want. That's what a bride and groom, when they come up on the, to the altar and they surrender themselves to each other, that's what they want. The cry of the disciple's heart is, Lord, you are the one that my heart desires. Yeah, I need food. I need, friend, I need other stuff. But you're the one that my heart has always been looking for. So Jesus is making this. And, and I'll, I won't accept any substitutes, Lord. That's what I want. And G, James here comes along. He makes it personal, very personal with it. Number three. I want you, and this one's hard for us, folks. I want you more than I want the comfort of the status quo. Lord, I am ready to empty myself and be filled by you. He's going to use the language of grieving, of tears, of being heartbroken, but in a good way. Like maybe that's what I need to feel. I'm open to that. I'm open to feeling empty. I'm open to feeling dry. I'm open to feeling whatever it is I need to feel, whatever it is I need to go through, if that gets me closer to you. If I experience you more fully, that's, that's fine. So verses 7 to 10, he says, So humble yourselves. This is not comfortable, okay? He says, So humble yourselves before God. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. I just, I'm emptying myself. Brokenhearted, I come to you. Lord, you lift me up. And I, as I was reading that this week and meditating on that, I thought, I don't know if this is helpful, but I thought about the way that we tend to think about what we're doing here this morning, about a worship service, a worship experience, how we approach that. I think for us, it is so easy to slide into, so tempting to, to begin to think about a worship service in terms of whether or not it fills me or not. Was I filled this morning? Did, did, did the praise and worship, did the sermon, did that fill me up this morning? And it's like I have some kind of internal checklist. Yeah, I got that, that need met, that, that, that. I'm feeling good. I'm ready to go tackle my week. The truth is, when we gather to worship, we should come hungry for God. And when we're done worshiping, we should leave even hungrier for God. Worship should not quench your appetite for God. Worship should whet your appetite for God. It's not like, I'm filled up, I'm good for another week, see you next Sunday. No, that's... Worship should 
just make my soul hungrier for the Lord. So this authentic experience of drawing near to God, yes, it may thrill me. It may have me walking on air, or as James says, because it's a relationship. Because there's this mystery there. Authentically coming to God may have me in tears. It may leave me feeling devastated, and that's exactly where maybe I need to be. An encounter with God may turn my laughter into mourning, and sometimes that's, that's what needs to happen. So finally, James makes this point, final part of the chapter, uh, moving to verses 13 to 15. James makes this point, if I get close to God, if I get really close to God, I understand how my life is secure in my Father's arms and that he, in fact, holds the world in his hand, well, that gives me a confidence. You know, I see chaos around me. I turn on the news. I'm like, oh, no, what's happening? But James reminds me, our Father is in control. Our Father has got this. And so whatever chaos, whatever whatever catastrophe may unfold in my life, James says, I can trust God knowing he's got this. We say things, this is James in, the, in those verses at the end, James, James kind of talks about how we, we say things like, hey, um, here's my plan, tomorrow I'm going to do this, next week I'm going to do this, here's my five-year plan, I, I'm going to travel to this city, do a little work there, and then I'm going to move back here, and I'm going to do this, and we talk about all of this as if we're in control of the future. Or as if we know what's going to happen. We don't know. We don't know whether we're going to have another day, another week, another 10 years of life. We don't know that. We don't. Sorry. We don't know whether the stock market's going to go up this week or it's going to collapse this week. We don't know whether we're going to make that business trip to Chicago on Wednesday or we're going to end up in emergency room sick. We don't know. So it's not like a news flash here. James is saying, we don't know. But God does. And if you develop this close child-father relationship, that's okay with you. Your father knows. That's fine. Take care of it, God. So number four, I want you more. And this is hard for some of us. I want you more than I want to be in control. I want you more than I want to be in control. Lord, it's okay if I don't know what's coming next as long as you are there with me. So this morning as we finish up, will you commit yourself to the simple task of asking? Asking your Father for more. More of what? More of Him. More of Christ. More of the Spirit. Or today maybe it's, it's, it's come to the moment where you're ready to accept Jesus. Empty yourself. Accept Jesus as Lord, Master of your life. Surrender your life to him in baptism, having your sins washed away, being born again to this new kind of life where you go deeper and deeper in fellowship with God, in service to his world as a disciple of Christ. However you need to respond this morning, do that as we stand together and we join our voices in worship.